All right, so let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats, if you will. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rap for you guys right now. So, all right, you guys ready? Not going to rap for you. Um, I have this amazing, amazing privilege to announce, not announce, but introduce Cheryl. I'm trying to embarrass her before she sings because she, you know, she needs that embarrassment. I'm just kidding. Cheryl, come on up. Everybody, would you welcome Cheryl Danner, please? She's going to sing a special song for us this morning. Don't kill me later. Here. Is the face that I see in the mirror The one I want others to see Do I show in the way that I walk in my life The love that you've given to me My heart's desires to be like you in all that I do, all I am. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I commune? Reflect 
Don't wait for me. I snuck in the back. Well, before we get started on my part this morning, um, we've got some visitors from China this morning, some new exchange students and a mom, and I'd like to give them a warm welcome. Nice to have you. There they are. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you. <laughs> That is awesome. Hopefully in no time we'll be saying hello to Beijing on a weekly basis on our internet program as well. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? Well, something very interesting happened a couple weeks ago. I told you this already. Um, Mike had come into the office just to get away from his office so he could do some paperwork and work on his taxes and all that sort of thing. And he sat down, he opened up his laptop, got out his computer mouse, shuffled his papers, grabbed his mouse, and it wouldn't work. He's clicking on it. He's moving it around. He says, I was just using this at the office. And he opened it up, and there was no battery in it. And he's like, that's weird. So his mind goes, did somebody come into the office and take my battery? And my mind's going, it's magic. The mouse worked without a battery. I mean, how in the world could that happen? What's the logical explanation? So he's sitting at the desk, and his computer's open in front of him. So what he doesn't see is right in front of his monitor is this. Now, who would have thought there were actually two of these on the planet anywhere? let alone in our office, that he gets one from home and he brings it in it matches the one in our office. We, we would have never thought that. So he's like, wow, did somebody take my battery? And I'm thinking, how does a mouse work without battery? That's weird. Now, what you just, what, what, what happened, what I just shared with you, is an example of a logical fallacy. Logical fallacy, that's an error in thinking. Actually, philosophers have categorized logical fallacies to explain them to people to help us think better. And we need them, and I'll be sharing some of them with you. The logical fallacy is known as hasty generalization. 
or what we do in plain English, jumping to conclusions. Somebody took my battery. It's magic, because we didn't know. But hasty generalization is a problem with thinking. It's bad logic. Let me read to you a definition of hasty generalization, the logical fallacy. It says, hasty generalization is a logical fallacy of faulty generalization based on insufficient evidence. Uh, what did you just say, Steve? Give you the plain English. Making a hasty conclusion without considering all the variables. Hasty generalization. It's bad logic, it's bad thinking, and it gets you into trouble. In this instance, no trouble. But there are times in life, and I'll share some of those, where it can get you into big trouble. There's a passage in the Bible that we're going to look at this morning where hasty generalization rears its ugly head. At least it did with my ugly head. And then I figured it all out. But let me share it with you. We're in 2 Kings. We've been going through Kings. And here's what it says. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. I don't know. I don't have my chart in front of me. If you brought your chart, that's fine. But it's somewhere around 800 B.C. So this is a long time ago this was going on, but we have a record of it. So Azariah, also known as Uzziah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. So I read that and I was like, what? Did I just read that this was a good godly man and God made him a leper? almost as a consequence, it seems, of being good. That's not right. And I read the whole story, and it didn't change. But I knew I had to be missing something. I began with the hasty generalization, jumping to a conclusion, but I got to be missing something. Listen, you got one of these in front of you? There's a lot of pages in there. How about I don't jump to a conclusion before I read a few more of those pages? You see what I'm saying? And a lot of people do that with Bible doctrine and stuff. They, they read something and they go, well, if that's the case, and read a little farther. Read a little more. You know, there's four books in the Bible that are the life story of Jesus. If one was enough, there'd be one. But there's four. We've got the history of Israel in Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, and in the Prophets. So I read from Kings, and I'm like, okay, maybe this author didn't put in all the details. Let me go to the second Chronicles and see if this story is mentioned there. Maybe I'll get some more details. So I did. I found it in second Chronicles, and I read the story. Listen to what it says. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. Remember, that was his other name. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But, verse 16, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him, chased him down with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. I love it. Men of valor who are also pastors in the jargon of the day. 
These guys are like, oh, no, you're not. We don't care if you're the king. You're not allowed in here. Get out. Eighty of them. They were ready to go to war with the king of Israel. I love these guys. And they withstood King Uzziah. Then Uzziah was angry. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests. Like, boom, there it was. Now, if you know anything about laws of holiness and the rules of the temple, purity was a big thing. You did not come into that temple if you were unclean. Leprosy, you weren't even allowed in the community, let alone in the temple. And all of a sudden, right there, boom, he's a leper. Well, they all freaked out, as you would expect. Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. All right, so you read the abbreviated account without all the details, and it looks like God's bad. He strikes this guy with leprosy even though he was good. No, what you got was this man's long life condensed into three verses. You're going to miss something. Chronicles gave us a little more. Did it give us all of his 50 years of life or 70 years of life? No, just gave us a little more. You know, this book, which is awesome, covers thousands of years of history. So you've got to figure there's going to be a few things left out. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't make a hasty generalization. Put up a slide for me, just one. Let me tell you, we can get into big trouble when we jump to conclusions. Let's take a look at the next slide. You could have sworn it said jump to conclusion, right? You would have put money on it. But it didn't. You just don't have the full picture. You don't always know. Let me tell you a true story. People that come to my house to visit die. So would you like to come to my house to visit? No. Let me tell you another true story. Everybody dies. So whether you come to my house to visit or not, you're going to die. So my first statement, which by itself sounded bad, was just a statement of fact. Everybody who goes to your house dies too. So we got to not jump to conclusions. Get the facts, all the facts, as many as possible on an important topic before you make up your mind. I told you jumping to conclusions can be unhealthy at best, but it can really lead to ruin and destruction in so many ways. Um, spiritually speaking, how many of you have said this or have heard this at one point in your life? I do not believe in hell. A loving God would not send people to hell. Don't jump to conclusions. It's a hasty generalization. There's a whole book that talks about God, heaven, and hell, and love, and what love does and what love doesn't do. And most people don't read the book. They just hear about hell and immediately reject it because they also hear about a loving God and those two don't work in their minds together. Well, let me tell you something. There's only one place that we learn about a loving God. Right here. And there's only one place we learn about hell. Same book. So don't jump to conclusions. Study it out. 
See, everything the Bible says about love, everything the Bible says about justice, punishment, heaven, and hell, then make a conclusion. I said this yesterday, and it didn't come out very well, and there's nobody here to apologize to, so. And by next week, I'll probably forget. So let me explain this to you in a little more detail before I say it. I was talking about somebody arguing with me about the Bible, and it sounded like, I know everything because I'm Mr. Pastor and I know the whole Bible. How dare you argue with me? That wasn't my point. My point was the people who argue oftentimes have never read it at all. So how stupid is that to go to somebody who knows it pretty well and then argue with them about it when they don't know it at all? That's just dumb. Not because it's me. It'd be like if, if I got on an airplane and I took a trip to Venezuela. No, let me, let me take a trip to China. Okay, for our guests. And they're having a political rally. And they got a poster. One says, Wong for commissioner. And the other says, Ling for commissioner. And as I'm walking to the rally, somebody says, you're going you're gonna to support Ling? And I'm like, why would I support Ling? Because he's a good guy. Okay, I'm all for Ling now. So I go to the rally and I say, Ling, 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 Ling. And they say, you're wrong. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> How could I stand for one candidate or one person over another when I'm totally ignorant? I couldn't. It'd be stupid. But we do that all the time when it comes to Bible things. We argue about God as if we know anything. And we don't. And I'm talking about people who don't study it out. The Bible warns us not to jump to conclusions. Here's what Jesus said. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So the implication is you got to study something out and learn all the facts and details before you make your decision. Don't just jump on the bandwagon because it looks a certain way. Oh, yeah, I hate to tell you, but I was driving down the street and I saw Fred's car right in front of the bashful bandit. You know what that means. Yeah, I know exactly what it means. Poor Fred, his car broke down again. Stepped in to use the phone. Oh, come on. You know that's not what it means. Actually, I don't know what it means at all. Because my Bible says don't judge and don't jump to conclusions. So I'm not going to do that. And you ain't Fred, so why are we having this conversation? Jumping to conclusions is wrong and can get us into trouble. By the way, I've never been to the Bashful Bandit. Might be a great place. I don't know. I've never been there. Just because somebody's been shot there every once in a while doesn't make it a bad place. <laughs> you think I'm being sarcastic. People have been shot at the restaurants I go to. You know, you know, people get shot in schools and churches, too. I don't know if it's a bad place. It may be a horrible place. You may know more about it than I do. I just don't know. I'm ignorant. So I'm not going to make any judgments until I know something. One of the Proverbs in the Bible says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Well, how much hope is there for a fool? Not very much. <laughs> but for a man who's hasty, there's even less hope for him. So the Bible tells us don't jump to conclusions. Don't make hasty generalizations. James, the apostle of the Lord, said this. Remember this, my dear friends. Remember, everyone must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Well, why would we do that? To keep us from doing those other things I've been talking about. Exactly why. So we're going to look at some more logical fallacies. Remember, logic 
just refers to thinking right. It doesn't refer to some weird voodoo. It doesn't even necessarily imply rightness in your conclusions. It's just a process of thinking. For example, um, and I use this one just because it's, it's easiest and jumps to my mind. Everyone over the age of 40 is stupid. Steve is over 40, therefore Steve is, come on, you can say it, stupid, exactly. That's logic. It's wrong, but it's logic. Logic is just if A is so and B is so, C must be so. The problem in my logic that I just shared with you is A and B weren't so. But if they are so, C must be so. So if you're certain of your A and you're certain of your B, you'll always be certain of your C. That's logic. And it gets more complex than that, of course. But the Bible tells us to use our minds. You know, I have seen with religious people, our people, people who make a big mistake and they worship God only with their hearts. They don't know the Bible very well. They, they're stupid. You know, they say all sorts of stupid things when it comes to spirituality. They are embarrassing. But they love God, and that's great. So can't they have both? And I have seen people who know all about God, but I wonder if their heart is made out of steel because I don't like these people because they're not nice. They're unkind. They're cruel. They're just heartless, but they know all about God. Well, we're supposed to know all about God, yes, and we're supposed to know about God in our heart, too. It's got to be both. So I see a lot of times people pursuing God with their hearts, but not as much with their minds. And the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. Proverbs 4, listen. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her, she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. God wants us to be smart, to learn, to ever grow in knowledge and in love, both. So to help you this morning in growing in knowledge, I'm working with you on thinking better. I'm going to give you a few logical fallacies so you understand how to recognize them and to avoid them. You're going to see them in political ads. You're going to see them in TV commercials for Pepsi and new cars. And you're going to hear them when people want to argue with you to make a point. And I'm only going to give you a few. You can go Google and get a list of, you know, 50 of them. And I would encourage you to do so. If you learn logical fallacies, all it will do is help you think better. Don't raise your hand, but who in here does not want to think better? Right. So if the Bible says pursue wisdom and love God with your mind, and I've given you a, a stepping stone to thinking better, go look up logical fallacies. It'll make you a smarter person right away. First one I shared with you already was hasty generalization, jumping to conclusions. The next one is called the ad hominem attack. This is probably one of the most common ones. An ad hominem attack means you're not really arguing, you're just insulting the person, putting them down. It's a good way to win a fight, but it's not a good way to win an argument. By argument, I mean an intellectual discourse of disagreement. You can shut somebody up and make them look stupid, but you still might be wrong. And it's not a nice thing to do. 
but recognize it. An ad hominem attack. This one's off the website, so don't get mad at me. Don't take it personal. People who believe in UFOs, they're just crazy. They're stupid. They're all schizophrenic. Well, what, what's that have to do with anything? All I did was insult people. Whether there's UFOs or not, I didn't address at all. I just put down the people who believe in them. That's an ad hominem attack. Conspiracy, conspiracy theorists argue the government must be lying because it's corrupt. So I insulted the government, already assumed that everything they say comes out of their mouths is wrong. I didn't talk about the issue at hand. All I did was put down the government. So an ad hominem attack has nothing to do with reason. It has to do more with just fighting with people and being insulting. But we see it a lot, and it was even used against Jesus. Nobody's exempt. Listen. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, is he the Messiah or is he not? Ah, oh, he hangs out with prostitutes. Okay, so you're just making him look bad, or trying to make him look bad. It's got nothing to do with the facts at hand at all. Actually, when you try to make somebody look bad, that's a specific kind of ad hominem attack called poisoning the well. You're going to ruin it before you even have the intellectual discourse by making the guy look bad so you can't trust anything he says. So they attacked him. Oh, he's demon-possessed. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Well, let's look at the scriptures and see if he fulfills the scripture. All right, here's the next one. Post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Write that down. <laughs> oh, I said proctor? It's proctor. Post hoc ergo proctor hoc. It's from Latin, and it means after this, therefore because of this. Steve, would you please speak English? <laughs> this happened before this, therefore this caused this. A happened before B, therefore A made B happen. Let me give an example. We'll go back to the days of Moses. All the priests of Ra say, Ra is offended. His worshipers have grown weak. Meet us tomorrow morning at the Nile River at 7 o'clock. Ra will speak. And the priests go out and all the people are like, Ooh. So they show up the next morning at 7 and the priests do their chanting and beat on their drums and blow up their incense and kill a chicken. Ra is angry. He said to prove he is the true God, he will darken the sun. And the drums go, the cymbals clash, and then the sun starts to go dark. Well, must have been Ra, right? Well, you're educated. You know what a solar eclipse is, and you know that you can look at a calendar and actually predict when they're going to happen. But they didn't know. The priest said Ra was going to do it. It happened. It must have been the priest and Ra. What else could there be? Don't be so hasty in your conclusion. There's a double whammy right there. That was hasty generalization thrown out with post hoc ergo propter hoc. Just because something precedes something else doesn't mean that something made it happen. We see this in Christian politics all the time. Uh, I'm going to risk offending you. Let me finish before I offend you. Then if you're offended, that's okay. Because you offend me too. <laughs> Wait a minute, Steve, that was ad hominem. Let me finish. I have heard this so many times. They took prayer out of the public schools, and ever since then, the public schools in the country has fallen apart. 
because they took prayer out of public schools. Sorry, that's post hoc ergo propter hoc. Country is definitely falling apart, but I'm not going to put it on them taking prayer out of public schools. Well, you're a pastor. Don't you believe in prayer? Of course I do. I might even like it in school. But one doesn't necessarily preclude or make the other thing happen. Thing is, the country was already falling apart. That's why they took prayer out of schools. If the country was doing fine, they wouldn't have taken it out in the first place. So taking it out wasn't the problem, it was a symptom. This kind of thing happens all the time. Just because one thing follows another doesn't mean the preceding thing caused the other thing to happen. It's simple thinking, and it's bad logic, and we've got to do better if we want to be intelligent people. Perhaps the one we run into the most as believers in God and as good citizens is the argument from authority. It must be so because Dr. So-and-so said it so. No offense. <laughs> it's all true. It's all good, whatever he says. So what we do is we emphasize the authority of the one speaking, and therefore it must be so because they're an authority. Well, first of all, what I've noticed is a lot of times authorities speak on issues that they're not authorities of. For example, God can't exist because all the scientists say so. Well, first of all, they don't say so. Some of them do, some of them don't. But even if they did, what does a scientist know about God? They are supposedly experts in analyzing physical phenomena, repeatable, observable physical phenomena. How do you deal with that with God? You don't. They're totally unrelated. So they might tell me that something in the physical world is so, and I might believe them based on their experience, and it's still a big might, but as soon as they start talking outside of their field of expertise, they're just one guy talking. You see this with, with uh, actors and movie stars. They always talk about politics. And they get famous for everything they have to say. Like, who are they? Okay, they sing good, but does that make them a pro on anything other than music? Maybe marketing. But I'm not necessarily going to listen to them about who I should vote for just because they're entertaining. That's not their field of expertise. The appeal to authority. My pastor said so, therefore it must be true. Uh-uh. I'll do the best I can by you. And I have studied, but you can read. Pick up the Bible and read it yourself. Just in case I make a mistake someday. How are you going to know if you don't read the book too? Jim Jones wanted everybody to drink the poison Kool-Aid. I didn't read that in the book anywhere. You just never know unless you know. Appeal to authority. By the way, about scientists saying God doesn't exist, what they're really talking... See, they got no business talking about God. It's got nothing to do with science, really. You know, you want to talk to somebody about God, talk to a pastor or a priest or somebody. Maybe they're an authority, but a scientist? But what the scientists do is they, they analyze physical data. Great, analyze away. But you can't come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist from analyzing physical data. Ah, oh, but we looked at a natural explanation for the existence of man. Great, that's called philosophy. That's not called science. You know what happens when scientists think about God? They start thinking things like this. 
from a scientific perspective, not a religious or philosophical perspective. They start thinking, there's no way this could happen by itself. This is too amazing and complex and wonderful for it to just have happened. And then they develop this theory called intelligent design. They didn't want to be Christian. They didn't want to be God followers and Bible believers. But they wanted to be good scientists, and they realized that there is just no way the universe blew up and made me. The goody-you theory. They just can't go with it. They said it, it lacks scientific integrity. So then what happens is the other scientists get mad at these guys, not because of their science, but because they don't like God or anything that has to do with God. They've already discounted that as anything right, and so they start beating on these guys, kicking them out of universities, refusing to acknowledge them in uh, professional papers, not giving prizes to people who are superior because of their religious affiliations. That, by the way, is another logical fallacy. When you hurt people based on their beliefs, kind of like the Inquisition, we're going to make a bunch of converts. That's what Islam is based on for much of its history. Convert people or die. Well, okay, I'm a convert. A convert. Are they a true believer? No, they just don't want to die. You can't use force to manipulate intelligence. It's a logical fallacy. But it's happening in academia to this day. They even made a movie about it. In fact, I've got a clip for you from the movie. Let's take a look. Moving through history in an unguided and undesigned way, the theory of evolution. Excuse me. Yes, Ben. How did life begin in the first place? Mr. Stein, you have the same question every time. Well, you never answer it, sir. It developed, we are, you know, we've been through this so many times. We Could there have been an intelligent designer? So what are you here for? I made a movie. Join Ben Stein in this year's most controversial documentary film. If they value their careers, they should keep quiet about their intelligent design views. I was viewed as an intellectual terrorist. I have never been treated like this in my 30 years in academia. I lost my job. It's a funny thing that questions that aren't properly answered don't go away. How did we get from an inorganic world to the world of the cell. It might have started off on the backs of crystals. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 nor has anyone. Nor has anyone else. So intelligent designers believe that God is the designer. God is about as unlikely as fairies, angels, uh, or goblins, etc. Science makes no use of the hypothesis of God. I mean, it's essentially official policy of the National Academy of Science that religion and science will not be related. There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch a higher power, cannot possibly touch God. Must be some movie. Expelled. No intelligence allowed. It's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It was a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to get it. In fact, uh, midweek Bible study group, if you're, you know, lazy one week and don't feel like doing a study, you might want to show the movie. It's like, no, I can't, Steve, because you call me lazy. <laughs> might be fun to do, though. All right. I saw this interesting argument the other day. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but some years ago, somebody said, oh, 
They invented life in a test tube. They put some acids in there and sparked it and heated it up and life was born. How many of you have ever heard that? Yeah, it's not true. <laughs> they lied to you. But somebody says, hey, I can just prove to you you can't make life in a test tube. How? How about we take a test tube and actually put life in it? Take an amoeba, put it in there and kill the amoeba. Then you got everything you need for life already there in its parts. Make it come alive. They can't. They can't. So it's just, it's silly. So here's where we've been. We saw a Bible story that at first glance, if you look at it by itself, without looking at the rest of the Bible, it makes God look unkind, unfair, un unjust. It makes him look bad, actually. This guy was good. God touched him and gave him leprosy. But that's jumping to a conclusion. I told you there's a lot more in here. Read some more before you make up your mind about something. And after reading them more, then it makes perfect sense. So I, I use that as a launching place to tell us we need to use our minds and introduce a bunch of fallacies to help you do that. The Bible says to love God with all our, our minds. Some fallacies, though, I told you, can lead to dangerous conclusions. With insufficient evidence, with insufficient reason or thinking or research, people just reject God right out of hand. They hear a speech, they come up with an opinion, and boom, they don't believe in God. But I want to encourage you, don't jump to conclusions. Even if it looks like there's only two possible explanations, there may actually be a third. You just never know. So don't be quick to make a decision on anything serious without giving it serious research. Listen to what the Bible says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Is that a true statement? I can tell you I, there was a time I did not believe in God. There was a time that I wanted to know for sure. So I went on a quest. And it was a passionate quest. It was a serious quest. Is there a God? Is there not? I did seek for him with all my heart. And now I'm a pastor. So take that to heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for giving us minds, minds that we can use, but often we don't use them right. And so I pray that we'd all jump on the logical fallacy bandwagon so that we can learn to think better and not jump to conclusions or make decisions based on bad thinking. But Lord, may we not just be a bunch of heady people, but people of heart that love you with our minds and our hearts and that love one another with our hearts. May our hearts rule in the way we treat people and may our minds rule in the way we honor you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.